Well, good morning. I thought I'd do a little short little tidbit of something I've came across. So, I'm working on the Isha Upanishad, and before that, I thought I would just flip through. Um, well, I found my old book of the Upanishads from 30 plus years ago when I initially studied it. Not when I was first introduced to it, but when I did my first individual study of it. But today, I thought I'd just go across the reason why. So, first, I mean, the Upanishads are a broad, broad, broad tome. There's many, many, many um, short little, long little, so there's a lot to it. What I'm going to talk about is essentially... I'm currently in the search for the answers to the Atman, to the nature of self, the Atta. And it seems that my take from the Upanishads even 30 years ago seemed to have been the nature of self, the Atman. But just wanted to share my revelation from yesterday. Um, as I've said before, I feel that Buddhism... Um, has a major error in the fact that it doesn't have like the Tathagata Garbha, as I've said before, attributed to Buddha nature, my apology. The Buddha nature is attributed to being maybe the Alayavijnana, the storehouse consciousness, or even the, uh, the perfected consciousness. But I argue that what is missing is that faith-inducing um, doubt. What I mean by that is what I think is missing in Buddhism is um, Brahman nature. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about a nature of, of godliness. What I'm talking about is that faith and um, both that great doubt and then the removal of that same doubt. All in one, well, actually, like uh, Swamiji mentioned yesterday, it's at once renunciation and devotion. So what am I talking about? Faith in God. Okay, in this case, when we're talking about Brahman, particularly Advaita, it can be, even in the Upanishads, when I'll be quoting that as well, how it can be not just the rocks and the trees and the, the people, but it can be the space in between. That can be Brahman nature. And just as the Tibetans and the Vedantins will say, when you go to sleep, that self, that ego, melts away because you're not clinging to it, and you reside in Brahman nature. Well, the Tibetans don't say that, but they say you reside in an egoless state, uh, a bardo, a sleep bardo, that is identical to those described in uh, the Upanishads. So, what I'm getting at is this, this transformative faith, this commitment, this devotion. I've talked about shraddha, not the Western concept of faith, but this commitment to the prescription, as I've always said. Now, in this case, my revelation was what's missing in Buddhism is the Brahman nature because we have to understand that this is this special state that we're all looking to become one with, equanimity. 
but more important, the transformation that one achieves by putting one's faith in something greater than oneself. Not because, oh, I am less than, but we are jaded and deluded and confused. As I've said before, how can one understand the nature of self when one is trapped within that same process? So the revelation I had is that it doesn't matter, and this is what Advaita Vedanta sees, that faith that's missing in Buddhism, that in Vedanta or in certain um, Vedic traditions would require devotion to a god, very theist in a sense. But what I love about um, Advaita, and then honestly, based on my research, what is existent in Buddhism but is not taught, is this um, Brahman nature. Again, not Brahman in the sense of the, the dualistic idea of it being, say, Vishnu, but in the non-dualistic sense, meaning that the Atman is all, we are the Atman, the self is one and is universal. Like that's the equanimity idea, upekka. Right? The idea is you are not this self that you think that you attach to. You are simply a series of events or um, experiences, as uh, Advaita would say. Whether you attach to those experiences, apply labels of self, that's up to you. But that's not, um, well, you get what I mean on that. So the big revelation for me is you get the benefit whether you believe in Brahman to be magical. Well, I'm sorry. Swamiji explained it as such. Let me hold on here. Well, explained as, and I can't remember it word for word, but the way he talked is in the dualist sense, you see yourself separate from uh, Brahman. That devotion, that benefit, um, and that understanding that you are a part of Brahman or what is you is but a little spark that was uh, given to you and again will be taken back. And the non-dualists see it as, I am Brahman, no different than we are one. But the revelation that I had is that whether you believe Brahman uh, nature to be this equanimity, that we're all one, right? The Bob Marley idea of one love, one people. Or whether you devote yourself to um, uh, an individual God, it matters not. The benefit comes the same. Whether you devote yourself to an individual theist or if you're simply, you know, believing in the equanimity of, of all, like the Jainists kind of do. You get the same benefit is my point. Jeez, I take a long time to get around to it, don't I? But yeah, that's my point. Yesterday I realized that whether you believe in Brahman nature is simply this, this infusion of life, this uh, happenstance that is the universe, whether you believe it to be uh, magical or just simply wondrous, or if you believe, as I said, a magic daddy in the sky, it doesn't matter. 
It's that faith that's transformative, right? Because it's both renunciation of the uh, desire-based realm that we all live in, and it's also devotion. It doesn't have to be the devotion to one individual Sky Daddy, but it can be certainly a devotion to all of us. We're all the same, in a sense, a Sky Daddy of ourselves. I mean, Nietzsche said himself, we'd all be gods if it were not for our basest desires, right? We are the ubermensch, as he said. We just uh, need to get out of our own way. So that was my takeaway. I realized that this transformative devotion and, and faith um, tends to be held up by so many little things, but uh, in no small part, hubris, right? How many of us, I mean, I was asked recently, and I've talked about this, whether I'm an atheist. I always used to call myself an anti-theist or a non-theist because of the baggage that came with uh, atheists. But of course, I was far too young to understand how absolutely arrogant a statement like, um, I am an atheist, how, how much hubris is required for, for such a statement. Labels, anyways. Because atheism, right, anti-theism, itself would require absolute knowledge, a truth beyond what we could even perceive if we had the, the ability. So for me, if atheism requires absolute truths, which I have very little, I can't consider myself. Right? So I've always considered myself either agnostic or I mean, arguably, I really do consider my religion to be equanimity. I've said this a long time. I mean, when the goal of the fourth jhana is to achieve and to reside in mindfulness and equanimity, right? Mindfulness being to remember what are we remembering that the self is not the root of our existence. I'm oversimplifying, obviously, but the main word here is upeka, upeksha. Equanimity. But why? Why do they talk about being at one? Right, This idea of treating the opposites the same, right? These worldly winds of pleasure and pain and praise and blame. Being equanimous, meaning you're not moved by either. As Rudyard Kipling said, if you can treat triumph and disaster as the imposters they are. Right? That's the idea we're looking for here. So, yeah, that's my takeaway on this. I find um, what's uh, truly missing is to understand more than just the Tathagata Garba. I find, to go further, my religion is equanimity, um, until I achieve that equanimity, then my religion will be the nature of self. Until I achieve the cessation of that fetter, and then I'll move on to the next fetter. But for me, what's missing is you achieve that fourth state 
of equanimity. But once you step out of that jhana, for whatever reason, shaken out of it, or you've achieved it by sitting, once you're shaken out of that jhana by samsara or by another jiva, another sattvic person, it can actually become jarring, more, more difficult to handle. Right? As the Buddha said, one of the most difficult things to do is to walk samsara as an enlightened individual, risking your enlightenment. Because a lot of these same samsaric influences can be even more harmful. But again, don't misunderstand. I even misunderstood. This is why I want to share it. Is that an enlightened individual is free from such fetters. And so... That's why we strive so hard to achieve this state. Again, this is not, I shouldn't say achieve, but we strive so hard to eliminate um, these outflows. That's the truth of it is. Enlightenment is not a state or an achievement. Enlightenment is simply, you're no longer moved by those uh, pleasures and pain. You treat them both the same. Arguably, that is the whole of it right there.